0: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the air.
1: We've been down this road before when their religious freedom did not give them the right to discriminate against interracial couples, and rightfully so. And we believe that that extends as well to LGBTQ plus students. Mm-hmm.
2: And my parents basically told me that if I went to ORU. Um, They would pay for my tuition and do X, Y, Z. And if I went to any other university, then I was on my own.
1: It can be a very frightening thing, and that's why it's so important that they have rights and that they are legally protected while they're at these schools.
3: I'm Sarah Fenske. A lawsuit filed earlier this year in federal court could have big consequences for a half-dozen Missouri colleges. The lawsuit takes on the exemption that allows religious colleges and institutions of higher learning to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and still continue to receive federal funding. The lawsuit is the work of a nonprofit called Soul Force and its Religious Exemption Accountability Project, better known as REAP. It was filed on behalf of 44 people, and that includes Includes Missouri native Andrew Hartzler. Andrew is a graduate of Oral Roberts University who now lives in Tulsa and he joins us today. Andrew Hartzler, welcome.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
3: So, Andrew, Politico made you the poster child for this lawsuit. They wrote a long piece about this that really gets into your story. It's such an interesting story. Their piece opens with a description of a chapel service you were required to attend as a student. This was back in 2017. What happened at this particular chapel service?
2: Yeah, um, I'd like to say that it's Politico did make me the cover of it, but... There are 46 other plaintiffs that are a part of the lawsuit, and all of us as plaintiffs are standing up for 100,000-plus students at religious universities across the nation. Um, but at the chapel service, um, basically we were, are required to go to chapel twice a week at ORU, and at one of the services during the week, Billy Wilson, the president of the university, told us, told the audience to raise their hand if they were struggling with um, sexual identity problems.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And um, he told everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes, and he said that no one was looking, and to raise your hand so that you could receive prayer. And I remember thinking that being quite scared that anyone would raise their hand, and of course looking around like, oh my gosh, who's going to raise their hand to this? But um, it's funny, if you watch the video of the recorded chapel service online, the camera actually pans to the audience, and you can see everyone with their hand raised.
3: Wow. And, And people would have known that this service was being videotaped, even though he said, oh, no one's going to be looking, all our eyes are closed? Yeah. At that point, were you concerned, like, man, I can't even raise my hand now if I wanted to?
2: Um, I, I don't think I ever would have raised my hand to begin with. I think I was more so concerned because it felt like a trap that the university was trying to find out who the gay students were, basically. And this was a very nice way for them to do it and um yeah i certainly wasn't going to raise my hand and i was worried about anyone that did raise their hand
3: So you, when you were at Oral Roberts University, you took a pledge. Students all had to take this pledge. It includes the promise, quote, I will not engage in or attempt to engage in any illicit, unscriptural sexual acts, which include any homosexual activity and sexual intercourse with one who is not my spouse. Was the university actively trying to enforce that and and hold people to that pledge?
2: Um, I think that the university was more concerned about the homosexual aspect of that as far as LGBTQ people, um, because there were straight people that were engaging in sexual acts, but the university wasn't too concerned about that. They were more concerned about people who were going against their definition of the right Sexuality,
3: And you found that out firsthand. Uh, you were ordered to report to the dean's office. What were they looking into at that point, or what, what kind of allegations were they asking you to answer to?
2: Um, so I was reported for having um, someone else in my dorm room.
3: So what happened then in that meeting?
2: Um, They asked me about my reasons for coming to ORU. They asked me about kind of insinuating that I shouldn't have gone to the university because I was gay. Um, And basically they told me that it was a warning and that I would be unnoticed and I had to attend accountability meetings with the dean. Um, And in these accountability meetings, it actually mirrored my experiences with conversion therapy.
3: Where they were basically trying to counsel you into not having same-sex attraction, that was where these were targeted towards? Correct, yeah. So I guess this is a good time to ask a question that I'm sure a lot of listeners are wondering right now, which is, Andrew, why would you want to go to Oral Roberts University in the first place? This seems like an extraordinary, hard, extraordinarily difficult place for somebody who is gay to attend.
2: Yeah, I actually get this question a lot. Um, and I went to ORU. I actually had never heard about ORU until near the end of my first semester of my senior year of high school and my parents basically told me that if i went to oru um they would pay for my tuition and do xyz and if i went to any other university then i was on my own um and my story is similar to a lot of other gay students at oru stories where their parents really push them in however way they can to go to ORU so that they're in a, quote, protected environment um, that basically shields them from the reality that the general public is accepting of LGBTQ people.
3: So your parents basically made this deal and and you ended up taking this deal with the devil if you had known then what you knew now and and what you experienced while you were there. Do you think you would have still gone through with it and and chosen that as the school?
2: Um, I I think that I still would have chosen ORU um, because even though what happened to me was wrong, I don't think that it was right. It's more of a matter of like, fairness. And when I went to school, I went to school to get an education, not to be groomed to have my sexuality or gender to fit the definition of what the university sought. Mm-hmm.
3: And you were able to ultimately graduate from there, even with this thing that happened in your your junior year and you ended up in these counseling sessions that that felt to you like conversion therapy. You persisted and, and were able to get your degree? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I graduated in May of 2021.
3: I understand just months after graduation, you ended up joining in this lawsuit that was filed by the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. What was your motivation for wanting to do that?
2: Um, So when I was approached with this lawsuit, I was actually surprised because I didn't Fully understand the extent of what ORU was doing and how they were being exempted from the protections that people, that students have. I wasn't aware of those protections. Um, And I wasn't aware that ORU was receiving these exemptions. Um, And when I was approached with the lawsuit or with REAP, I was really excited about being able to stand up for all the people who go to ORU and institutions like ORU, and they're not able to speak out or stand up for themselves, and they just have to succumb to the discipline and punishment that schools like ORU face them with.
3: So this is a great time to bring in our second guest today. That's Joe Baxter. He's an attorney, and he's a legal fellow at the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. That, again, is the group that has filed this federal lawsuit. It's against the U.S. Department of Education and deals with these exemptions that universities like Oral Roberts University are able to enjoy. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank
1: you. It's good to be here.
3: So, Joe, tell me, what was the origin of this lawsuit? What did REAP want to set out and do here?
1: Well, it became quickly apparent uh, how big this problem was. Um, we knew we knew anecdotally that there were many LGBTQ students who were experiencing discrimination. Um, but we uh, had a study done, and we found that uh, over ten percent of the students at these universities uh, identify as LGBTQ plus, and there are over a million students at these universities. So there's a hundred thousand students um, that are being discriminated against. These are there. These there are more than two hundred taxpayer funded religious universities that openly and actively discriminate against LGBTQ. The more we heard the students' stories, the more we heard about their experiences, the discrimination we, they faced, we knew it was necessary to bring the lawsuit. And our head attorney, Paul Southwick, actually attended one of these universities in his undergraduate. Um, he was placed in conversion therapy while he was there, and it was such a dark and horrible time of his life that he almost ended his life. Mm. Um, And so he has been an advocate nationwide and in Oregon um, against conversion therapy at these universities. And so it was a very natural fit for him to bring this lawsuit on behalf of all of these students to end this discrimination that impacts them so much.
3: So how do you hope to use the federal court system to bring an end to this? Uh, How would this, you know, what's the sort of legal basis of this suit?
1: Right. Well, the idea is that... um, You know, the brunt of the case is that students are claiming a constitutional equal protection right to be free from being discriminated against because of their sexual orientation and gender identity while attending educational programs that receive federal funding. So if a private religious university wishes to partner with the government, provide educational programs to youth, and if they want to receive taxpayer money to provide those educational programs, we argue that they have to provide equal access to all students And that a student cannot be denied access to a government-funded program because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. So these students participate equally in society. They pay taxes. They've served in the military. One of our students is attending on a GI Bill after serving in the military for nine years. And with one semester left, she was kicked out of her university because she is transgender. These students pay taxes, they participate equally in the burdens of society, and they have a right to equal access to the benefits.
3: We do need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
1: Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.
3: Welcome back. We are discussing the federal lawsuit filed over the exemption enjoyed by religious colleges basically allows them to discriminate on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation. And my guests today include Joe Baxter. He's an attorney and a legal fellow at the Religious Exemption Accountability Project, which filed the suit. We're also joined by Andrew Hartzler. He's a Missouri native, a recent graduate of Oral Roberts University, and experienced this firsthand um, in very recent years here. Now, one one of the Missouri colleges that would be affected if this exemption goes away is the College of the Ozarks, that's in Branson. Uh, Saren Craig attended the college in the early aughts, and the Missouri native told our producer Danny Wisentowski how they ended up at the college.
0: My dad had gone there and it was, um, you know, it's called Hard Work You College of the Ozarks is, because you can work for your education and you're not supposed to get student debt. It sounded like a really good idea to me. Um, and I wasn't aware, I, like, of the, the strong, like, religious component of it. I kind of knew it was a part of it, like, you kind of had to go to a number of chapels every, every semester.
3: But that religious component proved a problem for Saren, who'd been bullied as a teen for how they dressed and presented. After enrolling, Saren realized they were attracted to other women. They ended up in counseling sessions with a therapist who suggested that was the source of their depression. And that led to even more problems. Saren ultimately decided to drop out.
0: It just felt really fake, uh, really contrived. and it didn't feel like uh, my true self. And I had to get out of there. And basically the only thing that I, the only way that I kind of thought uh, to do it was like maybe I would join the Air Force. And so that's what I did uh, getting out of there.
3: Now, Sarah and Craig later filed a complaint against that therapist, but it went nowhere. They also finished their degree at a different university. They're now a registered counselor living in Portland, Oregon. Sarah has joined the lawsuit against the religious exemption, and they explained what they hope will come out of it.
0: I think that they should definitely stop discriminating. Um, They've definitely dug their heels in. And, you know, like most of the students that go to college, the Ozarks, uh, know are going there with a Pell Grant so it's federally funded they should accommodate those students for you know like the best thing to do for the students and that's not to discriminate against the students.
3: And that is Saren Craig a former student at College of the Ozarks in Branson. Um, Andrew Hartzler Saren's experience happened years before yours but but hearing what they talked about did that resonate with you?
2: yeah definitely. i I think it's really something that you can get a federal student loan to Oral Roberts University or other universities that are religious, and it makes it seem like the government is putting their stamp of approval on this teaching that these universities are saying.
3: Yeah, Joe, you know, REAP has been looking for people to participate in this lawsuit. You ended up with 44 different people, including Andrew and, and Sarah. And it sounds like you had no shortage of people who wanted to lend their names to this effort.
1: Absolutely. There, there are so many students who are impacted. Um, sadly, there are many students who, for very legitimate reasons, are very hesitant, to So they'll come and they'll talk to us and they have really horrific stories. They've experienced really awful discrimination. Uh, But they're afraid because they don't have legal protections. They're afraid that if they speak out, they will be expelled or discriminated against or harassed by their fellow students. Um, So it's a very scary thing. And it's incredibly brave of each of the plaintiffs to stand up and tell their story because it is a very um, it can be a very frightening thing. And that's why it's so important that they have rights and that they are legally protected while they're at these schools.
3: So, Joe, looking at this lawsuit, it basically rests on a part of the law that many of us have heard a little bit about. This is Title IX. Uh, That says that universities receiving federal funding can't discriminate on the basis of sex. That didn't always include sexual orientation or gender identity, but that has really changed over the years. How has the interpretation of that uh, shifted, uh, thereby almost requiring this exemption if these religious colleges want to keep doing what they're doing?
1: Yeah, there have been subsequent court cases uh, that have said that uh, sex includes sexual orientation and gender identity. So protections for discrimination, against, uh, dis- discrimination on the basis of sex also includes discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And the problem with Title IX is that Title IX has this exemption that's very broad that says if you're a religious institution, basically you are exempt from Title IX. Um, and it is this exemption that we are ch- we're challenging the constitutionality of it because of the impact that it has on each of these students it denies them the benefits of federal programs solely because of their sexual orientation, and gender identity.
3: And I understand the Trump administration changed the rules of how this worked to make it even easier to get a religious exemption. How, how did that work? Exactly. It, in the past, you used to have a, a school used to have to claim an exemption.
1: So they used to have to say we're going to we are exempt from this law in these different aspects of the law um, that gave students a tiny degree of notice that they wouldn't be protected because what happens is these are federally funded schools students are receiving federal loans and they see that a school is a title nine compliant all schools have to be title nine compliant and these schools even the religious universities will explicitly say we're title nine compliant what's not clear and what's not well known is that there is this religious exemption And that the religious exemption can be declared after the fact of discrimination has occurred. So a student can go to one of these universities. They can think that Title IX protects them. Uh, The school can discriminate against them because of their sexual orientation and gender identity. And then after the fact, when the student tries to go to the courts, the school can claim an exemption um, and the Department of Education gives it to them. Um, and so students aren't on notice that they don't have any rights, and, and that's directly because of a administrative law change during the Trump administration.
3: And is that something that the Biden administration has since reversed? It
1: has not. We know there are some rule changes in effect, um, and they're developing some rule changes, and so we'll see. Hopefully, we, we we definitely hope that is something they will do because it's a real problem for all of these students.
3: Andrew, so as we talk about um, the Republican Party and the perspective they've had on these issues and, and what President Trump did during his administration, uh, this is also something you have some knowledge about through your own family. You're the nephew of Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler. She's running for Senate here in Missouri, um, has long represented a district there near Kansas City. Uh, what kind of relationship do you have with her?
2: Um, I've always had a pretty good relationship with my aunt Vicky. Um, I haven't spoken to her since she, since all the press came out and the political article. But I do have a very big family, and a few of them are accepting. But for the rest, including my aunt, I'm hoping that someday they will get to that point of acceptance as well.
3: You told the Kansas City pitch this in May. You said, quote, the Hartzler surname shouldn't represent anti-LGBTQ plus or hate. Do you think your role in this lawsuit and the fact that you've been so public um, about being one of the plaintiffs in this, that that could change that association?
2: Yeah, I really hope that it does have an effect on when people hear Vicki Hartzler or even if they Google Vicki Hartzler that they realize that My aunt is notoriously known for having these anti-LGBTQ policies and that it shouldn't be that way.
3: So we asked you, our listeners, how you felt about this. We put out a question in one of our newsletters. We ended up hearing back from 14 uh, different people. That's a lot of emails. It takes a lot for people to to write an email. It's more than just commenting on a social media post. And we will say all 14 of them wanted to see this religious exemption go away. We heard from listener Merriam, who writes, if they want to be exempt from the rules, then they should be exempt from the money. So that's summarizing uh, the view out there, at least among people who subscribe to our newsletter. Um, Joe, I think one concern that we've heard is that this may be an extraordinarily difficult Supreme Court to get this kind of religious exemption thrown out within. I don't see the composition of the court changing in a big way anytime soon. Are you worried that the timing of this suit might make your job pretty difficult?
1: Well, you can't wait for a Supreme Court change all the time. Students are being impacted every day. They're being kicked out. They're being expelled. They're being denied. Access, what's really important is that we make their voices known and that we, bring it, we make it public and that people can hear their stories because these stories have been suppressed for so long uh, because students haven't had a way to access the courts in any meaningful way. It's an uphill battle, but we think – we think it's there's precedent for rights, for human rights, for all individuals, and we, we think it's a very strong case. And you know, I, I I will I will hold on to faith that the Supreme Court um, will acknowledge that when it gets up to the higher levels.
3: Uh, Some people might remember a Supreme Court decision from 1983. This was a landmark case involving a religious institution called Bob Jones University. Um, Joe, could you get us up to speed on that one and and whether you see any parallels here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bob Jones University was a really important case and a really important precedent for our case as well. Uh, Because we've been down this road before when universities in the 70s and 80s tried to use religious freedom as an excuse to ban interracial couples at these religious schools, Um, which is never what these were intended for. These religious exemptions were meant to protect churches from government intrusion into religious affairs and not to deny civil rights protections to students. So freedom of religion is not meant to be the freedom to discriminate, harass, or harm And so the Supreme Court in the Bob Jones case said that even though it was a very sincerely religious belief that Bob Jones University had, um, their religious freedom did not give them the right to discriminate against interracial couples, and rightfully so. And we believe that that extends as well to LGBTQ plus students. Hmm.
3: It's interesting. It feels like interracial dating was something that uh, maybe the court of public opinion uh, moved forward on more quickly than the LGBTQ issue, but that that is changing and has changed so much in the last 10 years. Do you think we're at a point where we could have reached that we could reach the tipping point where even a conservative court might be open to saying, no, you you can't discriminate in this way?
1: I would hope so. I think when you see the impact on students' lives, it's so necessary to get an education today. Students spend so much money. It's it's a necessity for many people in order to have economic well-being in their lives. And when you see the damage and harm that these exemptions create, yeah, I hope that the, the courts will recognize. And I hope that the schools will recognize it too because they have a duty to watch out for their students. We entrust them with our youth to educate them, to take care of them. And by not having these regulations and rules, it puts really vulnerable students at risk and harms their own students. So we hope that they start to see these students as the greatest assets that they have and want to protect them as much as they possibly can.
3: Andrew, so we've talked a bit about your personal experience today. We've also talked a little bit about the bigger picture. What would you want people to leave with um, as as we head out of this conversation?
2: I think that ultimately I'm doing this because I don't think that any student should be made to feel like they're better off dead than alive, not in college, not in high school, and not in elementary school. Um, I know that my experience in high school and college, I had to hide who I was and was told that who I was was wrong. Um, so ultimately, I think that the government shouldn't be exempting us.
3: Well, Andrew Hartzler, I want to thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much.
3: Andrew is a Missouri native, a recent graduate of Oral Roberts University, and a plaintiff in this uh, lawsuit now pending in federal court. Joe Baxter, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank
1: you for having us. And thank you for discussing this really important issue.
3: And Joe is an attorney and legal fellow of the Religious Exemption Accountability Project that has filed that lawsuit. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio.